How's it going, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite Swimbait Podcast, Scales and Tails, episode 109. We're, uh, we're kicking it back down there in the desert of Arizona, joined by Mr. Levi Jones, who I'm sure you guys have seen on the on the Leviathan page and as well as on Universe and stuff like that. So uh, kind of going back to Arizona, we just had Jeff on, Jeffrey on, kind of talked to him about about his uh, his experiences fishing Arizona, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get to talking about Levi's experiences down there as well. So just getting right into it because I think we're gonna we're gonna have a lot to talk about here. So I don't want to have a long winded intro like I usually have. So Levi, kind of uh, kind of explain to the people who you are. Kind of give us a little introduction about yourself before we uh, before we get into the nitty gritty of it today. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, um, Levi Jones. Uh, been fishing since you know as a kid. Grew up fly fishing streams and rivers and stuff out here. Um, got into swim baits when I lived out in Austin. Um, my son was born out there. I lived there for 10, 11 years or something. And, uh, yeah, just grew exponentially kind of fell in love with, you know, the, the, the fishing itself and then the community and yeah, here we are been a while and still loving it. Yeah, dude, I actually forgot you, you moved, uh, like away from Texas a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, I think I've been back here in Arizona. I'm actually in northern Arizona, so I'm up in like the mountains at oh, okay. 7,500 feet. So it's totally different for me up here. Like it's 50 degrees right now and overcast and beautiful. Um, but yeah, uh, we lived in Austin for about 10 years. I grew up here in Flagstaff and then we moved to Austin. I uh, moved out there for a job, kind of, you know, typical stuff. Um, and then we've been back here in Flag for uh, a little over four years, maybe going on five years now. Heck yeah, dude. So you grew up fishing where you're at now, right? That's where you kind of learned everything and, and got into it? Yep. Yep. Mostly. So we have a couple of lakes out here. Um, there's one pike lake. Um, and then it's mostly just trout. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the elevation, you know, um, everything freezes over in the winter. We get tons of snow. This last winter was just insane. I think our, our ski resort up here in Flagstaff stayed open until May. Wow. Um, yeah, it was crazy. We had so much snow. It was insane. Um, and so the fishing is definitely not, you know, obviously what I got used to in Austin. So that's kind of where, you know, everything changed for me, the whole big bait deal. And I was fishing a lot of kayak tournaments out in Austin. Um, and there's none of that here just because the way that the lakes are and there's so much fluctuation from snow melt and yeah, it's just totally different ball game out here. Damn, dude. So, I mean, when you got down to Austin, it was a complete 180. You guys weren't getting snow. It wasn't 50 degrees in, in early August, you know, late September or early September, late August, like it is now. Like you, you were more into that, like that hot Texas heat style. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I did a ton of night fishing. That's where I fell in love with night fishing is just because it's so damn hot in the day. So I'd go sit in my kayak on, on Town Lake or Ladybird Lake, whichever you prefer. Um, till you know one two in the morning some nights and just fish my heart out and not have to deal with the traffic on the way home and yeah just it was just so much more peaceful and that's where i i really learned to love night fishing out there yeah so do you ever like sit back and obviously you know being a part of leviathan obviously i'm sure you see marshall stuff all the time and see all these other guys in austin do you ever sit back and like man i wish i hadn't moved back or are you taking are you taking like the Arizona over Texas just, just because how much nicer it is weather wise and stuff? 
you know, it's, it's, it's hard. And people ask me that all the time, you know, do you miss Austin? I mean, I miss it daily. Um, and yeah, totally. Like I, I actually went back and fished with Swafford and, uh, and Marshall and all those guys, not, not this year. I went to the gathering. I didn't make it down South to Austin. Um, but yeah, I miss it. it. But then there's, you know, there's aspects of it. I don't miss. Like I used to have to drive 45 minutes each way every morning and then every afternoon to get my son to school, you know, mm. and you're paying toll fees and you're burning yeah. gas and, you know, so there's, I, I mean, I miss the food, I miss the music and I miss the fishing in Austin every day easily. Um, but I don't miss the traffic and just the insane amounts of people that have moved there. It's just gotten so crazy. Yeah, dude, I was about to say four or five years ago, it was still kind of, you know, it was on the map, but not nearly as what it is now, like the big comedy scene down there. And it's just gotten so popular down there. I cannot imagine, you know, going back there now, if you'd been there, you know, five, six years ago and just seeing how much crazier it is now. I bet you it's just night and day difference. It looks so different. Like I was there, like I said, two years ago now or something, went out fishing with the boys and then a friend of mine just like yesterday or something on Instagram posted a picture of the new city scape, like the, the, what the skyline looks like now in downtown Austin. And, and then I had a memory pop up and it is, it looks like a completely different city. It's insane. It's so different. Yeah. I mean, I can't even, I can't even imagine. And it's so crazy. Marsh and I have talked about this, like it's so crazy how good the, you know, quote unquote, good the fishing is down there still like these big fish and, you know, you have to, yeah, obviously you have to get them to bite and stuff, but it's like, there's no lack of good fish around there still, which is absolutely wild with how many people are there now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the fish out there are conditioned just like anywhere, you know, but at the same time, I think it might help a little bit, you know, you get so many paddle boarders and rowers, like the water is crystal clear up and Barton and stuff but you can still catch them you know like out here i don't know it's just everything's so different and then the way they manage their fisheries out there is just you know you can't even can't even hold a candle to it out here they it just seems like i don't know it seems like they're trying out here which is a good thing you know they're finally doing some more stocking and trying to figure out some of these algae blooms and stuff but it's just yeah it's just not even comparable three words lake Pro Tackle. Lake Pro Tackle has all the fishing equipment you need to have success on the water. Friends of the podcast will receive 15% off their order with code SCALES at checkout. On their website, you can find exclusive and rare baits as well as rods and reels to have that dream combo. Check out their social media pages for constant updates with new arrivals. Lastly, orders over $50 get free fast shipping. Remember to use code SCALES, all cap locks, to save 15% off on your orders at lakeprotackle.com. Your favorite swim bait podcast is now proudly sponsored by Leviathan Rods. Leviathan Rods is a Texas-based fishing rod company that is handcrafted and uses high-end, made-in-the-USA rod blades. Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference, too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing a depth 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. So um, when we had when we had ben, Mr. Ben Lanelhan, who I know you're familiar with, uh, he was talking about in Wyoming how like 
bass or that public enemy number one because because the beautiful trout like that's like you know when you think of wyoming you think of trout mostly is that how it is up by you you had mentioned like you're up by the mountains and, and trout are kind of the main thing are is arizona dnr game fish and wildlife whatever you want to call them are they starting to take a more stand towards the bass fishing as well as trout or is it still centralized like on the trout like ben was mentioning in the west you know there's there's some spots, but it, actually it's kind of funny. Like um, a good buddy of mine has been a guide at Lee's Ferry and Lee's Ferry is where basically it, it's not where the Colorado river starts, but it's where Lake Powell, which is, you know, our biggest lake. Um, most of it's in Utah, but it's still just a couple hours from me. It all dumps out of that dam. And so in there, there's a bunch of like um, natural uh, chub habitats um, so now they're actually like targeting the Browns, like they're paying people to go kill Brown trout, which to me is just absurd. Wow. Um, cause they're a sport, you know, they're so much fun and that's been my buddy's livelihood for 20 plus years. And so now they're paying people to kill Browns. And then the way our waterways work, there's not a whole lot of spots where bass can invade you know it would be too far up like you like there's the salt river and there's the verde river and there's there's rivers that hold bass but they don't really stray far from there so you don't really hear much about like exterminating bass here well just the just fact just because the layout yeah talking about exterminating brown trout that is you know that's unheard of i've never heard of a place talk about how they want to take care of a trout population like that that's why yeah. And it's so funny to me because, I mean, I get it. Yeah, the Browns and they say the Chubs and the Browns, um, you know, uh, breed in the same flats and stuff, um, which I don't know. You know, I have to take them at their word for that because I'm not a, a fisheries biologist like yeah. Ben. But, you know, like the Browns pretty much primarily stay more upriver and the Chubs are or the Chubs are all throughout the whole Colorado River, which goes all the way to Mexico. So I don't really see how it could really be effective to just wipe out the Browns and they're the most fun fish to catch in that whole body of water. So I don't know. The whole thing just seems stupid to me. Hmm. Dude, I will say, I think personally Brown trout are like the hardiest, you know, hardiest and trout necessarily don't go hand in hand in the same sentence, but I mean, Brown trout are, are ferocious and they're hardcore. Like up here, when you have salmon and steelhead and, and surgeon running in the river, I mean, those Brown trouts just sit in the same hole and you'll catch a brown trout, you'll catch a 20-inch brown trout, and there is just scars on it from where these salmon and steel had been rubbing and running into it, rubbing it under log jams and stuff. They're just a super hardy trout. And it's super crazy to hear that that they, you know, they have called that public enemy number one as far as like these flat spawns and stuff. Like that's just that's unheard of. I feel like 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 I said, you never hear of of trout being the problem because they're so they're like that precious fish where you know, there's a good chance if, if you get rid of all of them, it's going to change the ecosystem. It's going to be an SOB to, to bring them back type thing. Yeah, it's just the whole thing's silly. And then, I mean, so we have, like I was talking about earlier, we have a lot of fluctuation in water level out here because we depend on, you know, the snow in Colorado, the snow in Utah. Um, so finally, Lake Powell's filling up again, but it got so low over the last couple of years that the water that was coming out of the dam was getting up to like 60 degrees, 65 degrees. So, I mean, that in itself can kill, you know, hardy browns and, and the stalker bows and stuff that are in there. Um, 
but there was also a couple instances where they were shocking up smallies out of Lake Powell that had come through the dam because the water level was so low. And then mm-hmm. even my buddy Dave, who as uh, the guide up there, he's he's caught a couple of stripers there in the water, which even like the people that are supposed to be controlling this fishery were calling him a liar. And he was like showing them pictures like, no, here, look, here it is. And it's just, it seems like they want to believe just what they want to believe. And it doesn't really matter at that point. Yeah. It's, that's just like common uh, fish mm-hmm. and wildlife game. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Like, like, they oh, know I, everything. I my eyes. So, so I don't believe you type thing. Yeah. The fishermen are just idiots. Yeah, man, crazy. But so you said you got was fly fishing, like how you got into it being in that those trout waters. Is that how you got into fishing and got the start? Yeah, totally. And me, you know, we have a little local pond here that they would stock trout in. And me and my buddies would do the whole little kids on their bikes riding around with their spinning rods, you know, and go downtown, go fish. And so I just grew up, you know, mostly fishing trout, bluegill, just like typical stuff. And then yeah, I didn't really get introduced until bass fishing until I moved to Austin for bass fishing. Okay, so about you know five six years ago is when, four or five years ago is when you got when you realized like oh there's these bass and they're like they're super fun to catch, right? No, so it was gonna. I, I would say I started bass fishing. So what? It's twenty three. It was probably ten years ago now, okay. eleven years ago now that I started really targeting bass out in Austin. And that's how oh, I got yeah. linked up with Leviathan too. Um, yeah. I was fishing kayak tournaments out there and I just kind of joined the team and was fishing their rods and then just became really good friends with Eric. And then, you know, we started building rods and he taught me how to build from there. Heck yeah, dude. I, I was, I misspoke. I, I was thinking that you moved to Austin five or six years ago. You moved back four or five years back ago. Back to yeah. flag. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, 10, 11 years ago, the kayak scene still had to be pretty low key i mean now it's starting to get bigger but i mean i remember you know five years ago when i was in high school at like 2019 it was still pretty small and like kayak like somebody said that they were in a kayak tournament you just kind of looked at them like they were crazy you know assuming that they were fishing against some buddies and stuff what was the kayak scene like down there in austin back then man it's it, it was it was big at the time there was cats the kayak angler tournament series um so i fished a few cats i actually qualified for a national um at lake fork so i fished the national cats tournament one year and that was a lot of fun and you know you meet a lot of people like i mean i could start name dropping but there's a lot of people that you know cut their teeth in kayaks and then like matt scotch or you know um just a lot of different uh g-man um they they fish like hobie worlds they've been to switzerland fishing kayak tournaments so it's it 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 was big in that area at the time um and then we kind of started one of our own tournament series and that was a lot of fun leviathan was a sponsor at the time and uh so yeah we 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 did it pretty pretty good pretty big in austin and people would come out from all over texas or you'd travel all over texas to go fish tournaments like i said fork and um fish rayburn a couple times and uh so yeah it it was definitely big there at the time but i could see what you mean about you know branching out through the the rest of the country for sure it wasn't as big yeah so dude i mean that's just so crazy to hear that it it was kind of a, a big popping thing back then and how there were you know because i feel like most tournaments you hear about now 
guys are, are running them through like tourney x and stuff what was were you guys just like in a big group chat and everybody was submitting photos and stuff or how were you guys doing it back then no so we were uh, as tourney x was starting to um really kind of hit the market i guess you'd say um we were using tourney x uh as well and then there was one other one i forget what it was called that wasn't quite as good so we used tourney x more just because it had like gps uh locations on the mm. photos that were submitted and stuff so it it was kind of the beginning of tourney x when we were doing it yeah dude, i had no idea that tourney x would like submit the gps locations stuff that's like super badass i had no idea that that was a thing and that makes a lot of sense to have yeah absolutely actually one of our tournaments we were fishing on decker lake or uh whatever there's two names for it same kind of deal as ladybird but we were fishing a turn or we were running the tournament so i was the one verifying photos and then um we had another guy that was kind of verifying locations and then keeping track of stuff on a spreadsheet and um we caught a cheater in one of those kayak tournaments and he would actually like the first fish he would catch if it was an under or whatever he would snip the tail off mm-hmm and keep the tail of the fish and then just throw the body back and kill the fish. And he would keep the tail under his kayak seat. And then if he caught like a 15-incher, I think was the minimum to submit, he would put his hand over the tail and then put the new tail under his hand so it looked, you know, two or three inches longer. Dude, and we caught him. And was Yeah, we like, caught It was wild. I feel like I remember reading that like on Wired to Fish or, or yeah, something. Yeah, it was on there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then they busted him, and that. he had he had cocaine and weed on him, and went to jail, lost his fishing license forever. Holy crap, dude! That is crazy. Yeah, wow. it was wild. He came back to the to the ramp to the launch where we were doing all of our um like weigh in, I guess you yep. call it, but our awards and, and stuff. The, the cops were there waiting for him. Dang, dude. Yeah, I remember reading that. Wow, small world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dang, that's yep. crazy. So, so you're you're doing all the tournament stuff and you're getting into it. How did you hear about Leviathan? Because, dude, that that seems like so long ago. Ten years ago, you know, around that time, like well, 2013, 2014, That does does not feel like ten years ago. But obviously, saying it, um, how how did you hear about them? Like, was there other guys fishing their rods and stuff like that on the trails that you were on? Yeah, so a buddy of mine at the time out there was like, hey, have you ever heard of these guys, Leviathan Rods? They're local. We should hit them up. But at the time, Eric was doing kind of more inshore stuff. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really focusing on bass. He was doing, you know, more like redfish, trout rods, things like that, because yeah. he really digs the salt down there in the bays. Um, so we just drove over to his house. Well, we hit him up, you know, through social media or whatever. And then we set up a time to meet him and we went over there and talked it through and um yeah we just were like okay well so at the time me and my buddy brian were doing uh we had 512 fishing and we did like apparel um like sun shirts and Mm -hmm. you know um uh, buffs and uh, gloves and stuff like that that we were having made and then we were just kind of doing that so we went and talked to him about that and then we did a couple of runs of some 512 fishing rods with eric Mm. um and we were selling those on our site and then uh, from there, yeah, I think the first rod I built with Eric was my eight-weight fly rod, and he hadn't built any fly rods at that time. So then we kind of started doing that. Um, and then from there, it was just like swim baits started blowing up in the area, so we started building the swim bait stuff. 
Yeah, dude, that's so sick. I mean, I I know Marshall had, had a fly rod and Ben has a fly rod. Those are the only two Leviathan fly rods that I know about. And I knew that there was like Levi when we did that round table a couple months ago. Well, probably honestly going close to a year ago by now, but he had talked about how he made a couple, but there's not many out there at all. No, and we did a couple that were like kind of white labeled for some of the fly shops in Texas. Okay. Um, but yeah, they're definitely not uh, abundant, I'd say. Yeah, few and far between. So yeah. How how did uh, how did you guys end up talking into you spinning your own fly rod? Was he were you just over at the house one day and, and mentioned something like oh about build a fly rod and Eric's like oh let's do it type thing or how did that happen? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And I think we I think we even wrapped the fly rod on like the tailgate of Eric's truck and we're having a couple of beers and just chatting and we wrapped the fly rod and then he did the epoxy for me. Um, and I still have it. Uh, that's, I think that might be one of the ones Marshall was using. I don't, I know I sent Marshall my reel. I have a Galvin fly reel when he was doing his country tour. Mm-hmm. So that was the reel he was using, I believe, but I don't, I don't remember if I sent him the fly rod or not, but yeah, it's an eight weight. It's, it's, it's an awesome rod. I just don't get to use it very much because it's way too big for trout. Yeah. Yeah. Eight weight is that's kind of like, uh, like for big streamers and stuff, right? Yeah. It'd be an awesome uh, rod for like striper or even you know bass it'd be a fun rod grass i used to throw like hopper frogs on it at uh lake pflugerville where i lived out there um throwing frogs frogs on a fly rod for bass is a lot of fun if you've never done it i suggest it yeah that sounds like a blast dude so how long after um so so you made this fly rod and <clears throat> did you have any interest in making a bass rod after re like, Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Like I want to make a rod I'm going to use more regularly. Or did that take a little while to kind of figure out that you wanted to get into it? I guess. No, I was using, so I was using a couple of our five, one, two fishing rods, which were just kind of like a, I think it's a seven, two. I still have it actually. I still fish with it. Um, seven, two medium heavy. Uh, so it was just kind of an all around bass rod and I was fishing with those and I just had kind of a mixture of rods at the time. Um, and then, uh, we started, we, we did the Trinity line, um, and Eric was already kind of doing all that. I was just kind of a spokes guy, kind of a rep. Um, and then, uh, I never, you know, he had offered commissions on whatever I sold and stuff when they were mm-hmm. a young company. And I was just kind of like, nah, man, I'm just here to help. Just, you know, yeah. I'll just fish the rods and we'll have fun. And then Eric and uh, Kevin, the the two main owners, uh, were nice enough. They just, they instead of paying me, they gave me a portion of the company. And uh, so that's how I became part owner of Leviathan. Hell yeah, dude. And after that, did, did you kind of like, okay, I better, I better start learning how to turn rods type thing? Or when did that kind of come, come about? Yeah, it was more just kind of a hobby. I would say that was probably in 16, 17, probably when I started actually building. Um, I had helped Eric with some builds just kind of as he, you know, showed me, walked me through as he was building kind of deal. And then um, then I started, yeah, building some customs for some people that had requests. And, and most of that was from there on, it was just swim bait stuff primarily. Hell yeah. So we'll kind of backtrack a little bit and get back on to, uh, your, your fishing story. So what time or around what time, like, I'm sure it was probably during your kayak series. When did you, 
you know, first get exposed to swim baits firsthand? Like, did you see a guy you were fishing against have them or, you know, see a guy launching his boat when you guys were coming in for the day or kind of what was your firsthand experience seeing him for the first time or hearing about him even? So, um, it was right around the same time we started, uh, uh, using the Leviathan stuff and fishing tournaments, you know, we would have, you know, one swim bait rod and try and catch your limit in the kayak. And then I'd start throwing swim baits to try and get a big kicker or whatever. Um, yeah, so I'd say probably 16 ish, 17. I think I joined universe in 16, maybe 15. Um, and then we just kind of realized that, you know, the the traditional bass rod market is, I mean, it's really hard to get your foot in the door with just a regular bass rod when you're com- competing with, you know, Daiwa and Shimano and, you know, all these companies that have every power of conventional rod available. Um, and then we, you know, we kind of saw that there was not a, as much competition in the swim bait realm. Um, so that's kind of why we ventured over there. And then, yeah, I mean, the sticks just kind of took off, spoke for themselves. Yeah. So were you kind of helping with that test phase when you guys decided that you wanted to take on swim bait rod building? Did you guys build up, you know, a handful and, and were you testing them to see like, okay, this is what I like. This is what we need to do differently on the next batch type thing. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, the original Omegas were all split grip. Um, and I built, I mean, I built the, prim, uh, the, uh, what's it the prototype, uh, Omega extra heavy. And at the time the medium heavy was an eight foot, the heavy was an eight three, and then the extra heavy was an eight six. But then that's when they started really cracking down on shipping fees Mm-hmm. So we had to chop everything to eight foot. Um, but yeah, those original protos, there's only a couple out there. I think Quincy Valentine still has one and eight, six. Um, I think, uh, Van Caraway still has one that I built him. Um, yeah. So those originals were totally different and they were, um, gloss black painted blanks instead of like the natural, uh, carbon blank that they are now. Yeah, um, and then like I said, split grip instead of the the full grip with the the X flock. Dang, dude! So and that all just came based on you know customer reviews, and then you know we switched up our guide sizes a little bit just based on people that were fishing them. You know, we went smaller on the guides and we went to a full grip. So it all just kind of evolved. Dang, dude, that is so cool to hear like the the evolution of it, and to hear I had no idea that that you guys had made them longer than eight foot at one point in time. That's super cool to hear because at first I thought you were going to say like, that's how it is now. And I was going to, you know, I was going to crap my pants. Cause I'm like, I had never realized that they were, they were over eight foot. I'm I wish. All eight foot. <laughs> yeah. And I still love my eight, eight, six extra heavy. I just don't throw it as much just because I mean, you know, it is kind of tough traveling with longer rods and it kind of gets yeah. old. Like my, my original split grip Omega heavy eight, three, I was going fishing and sticking it in my truck and I broke three inches off the tip. So now it's an eight foot and it's super fast. It's more like a soft bait rod for me now, but I still have it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, <laughs> so you were, you were helped turning these like first, first batches of Omegas and stuff. And I mean, were, were you, um, were you, po- were you guys posting them on, on universe and Instagram and stuff? Kind of 
trying to get, you know, gauge interest and stuff like that? Or was it mostly a bunch of local guys that were fishing them and giving you guys feedback and stuff? Yeah, no, we definitely marketed them. Um, Leviathan already had a pretty substantial like Instagram page. So that definitely helped at the time. Um, But yeah. And then I think I don't swim bait badlands used to do the tournament. So we did some stuff with them. And then I think we did a monthly tournament with universe where um, whoever won got a free stick. Um, And I actually did that in the same uh, layout or format, whatever you want to say as the kayak tournaments that I was used to running. So we did it by length because then you just had to have, you know, a, a decent bump board and you mm-hmm. didn't have to worry about y'all using the same scale and whatnot. So yeah, it was, uh, a lot of it was word of mouth and a lot of it was local guys, you know? Um, but yeah, we, like I said, Quincy, he's in Cali. He has one of the old school ones. Uh, Kurt Walker, I think he's on the East coast. He still has an original Omega. Um, yeah. So it was just, it was pretty organic though. You know, we weren't like shoving anything down people's throats or anything. Yeah. I mean that dude, that's so sick to hear, hear the beginning of it and how, how, how much the rods have even changed in a matter of, you know, eight years. That's just so cool to hear a split grip Omega, huh? That, that is, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it continued to evolve. Like then we added the soft bait, the soft swim. Um, and then that was a whole different blank that North Fork had built for us. And then, uh, man, that, the, the daily blank, the travel rod blank that we did with Jared, I was asking North Fork to build us a travel three piece travel rod blank for, I think it took them three years before they finally got behind it. Really? Um, yeah, because there's just, I mean, that's a big hole in the market there. I think there should be more multi-piece rods, um, personally, but, uh, yeah, they just, he was like, oh, those aren't going to sell. I think, I think you, he was telling me like, he, I think you're going to, you're not going to do as well with the multi pieces as do you think you are. And I mean, as you can see, we can hardly keep those dailies in stock. So that's, that's an awesome feeling. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like it's uh like, it's super stiff rod. I mean, Jared fishes everything on that rod. Like he posts stuff all the time, fishing citizens, fishing hard baits, you know, fishing the eight inch tyrant. Like it does not matter because it fishes like the heavy, right? Yeah, so it is the same blank as the Omega Heavy, but it 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 gains more strength, I'd say, maybe maybe more power because yeah. of the ferrules. You know, you're locking that rod together in a couple different places. It's not going to bend as deep as the regular Omega Heavy, but yeah, it's based on that heavy blank. Hopefully soon. I mean, I've been asking for an extra heavy in the same deal, um, so we would have two travel rods. Uh, I just, I mean, again, it could take three more years before we can have that blank made yeah yeah oh so was when when you guys uh n- another leviathan question so the first collab who was was that with sherpa or obviously like you did you did your liner rods for the kayak stuff but when you guys started doing the swim bait stuff what was the first collab was it the sherpa rod or was there one before that even you know the the sherpa rod I don't know if we did, I don't know if we did like a full on collab where it came with like a bait and stuff. I think we just built him a couple of Sherpa rods. I don't think we ever retailed those rods. 
Um, oh. But the very first collab where it was like a package deal. Is that LFOD? It, it might have been a, the LFOD rod um, where it was, yeah, like a package and it came with a shirt and a bait. Um, and then we did the burrito rod, I think. Um, but yeah, I really like doing those collabs just because, it, you know, it gets you to know that maker better. Um, and then also, obviously, you know, from a marketing standpoint, it's good because you're marketing to the bait makers, customers, as well as yours, you know, so business-wise it makes sense, but it's really cool just getting to know those guys and seeing new artwork and, and yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I really like those collab projects. Yeah. I I know, I know a couple guys you're, you guys are planning and, and doing stuff with, and I mean, it's, it's so cool to, to see all these custom rods, whether it's like the finesse or, you know, even even a, a, a new build rod like like Marshall's Bushwhacker, like it's just super cool mm-hmm. to see you guys do your work, but take you know the color palette of a builder or you know their style and implement it onto a rod blank. Like it's just so badass to see. It's a lot of fun, yeah, yeah. I, I dig it a lot too. And Eric, I mean, his artistic ability with rods is just awesome because he can do, you know, everything from you know, epoxy work and marbling to his thread work's gotten really good. It's just, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, dude, super badass. And I guess going, going back to the swim bait stuff, I know we're jumping around all over here. Do you remember the first fish you caught on your Omega that you had turned yourself? Yeah. Was week? <laughs> I think it was a 250 fish on the extra heavy, but then, um, yeah, I mean, I don't remember at the time. I think I, I mean, I've always kind of lent my, I don't know. I, I really like soft baits. Um, and for a long time there at the beginning, I was throwing uh, eight inch mag drafts, but rigged weed, weedless mm-hmm. on a 10 beast. So yeah, I caught a bunch of fish on that, on like the heavy or the extra heavy. Yeah. And did you guys like realize that you wanted a super big lineup, like from the medium heavy all the way to the dirty dragon, or did you guys start with one rod and kind of go from there? So the three main, like the big three, the Omega medium, heavy, heavy, and extra heavy, we kind of dropped all I'd say around the same time. Um, Cause they're kind of, I mean, a lot of people use them for all kinds of stuff, but in my viewpoint at the time, they were pretty kind of specific. Like the medium heavy was more for like smaller wakes, A rigs. I mean, I was even throwing like DD 22s on that rod Mm. um, and doing fine. Um, And then, you know, the heavy, smaller soft baits, um, you know, bull shads, things like that. Um, and then the extra heavy, we were really kind of tailoring towards the 250 and, 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 uh, baits in that size range. So we kind of dropped those in a lump, I would say. And then from there, we were just kind of like trying to pinpoint holes in the market of what needed to be released. So then yeah. came the dirty dragon. Um, cause that's around the time I think when, you know, the, that big UFO, um, uh, the ghost, that kind of stuff started coming out the bigger baits. I know there was always like the huge dock rats and stuff, but those yeah. weren't as uh, prevalent in central Texas. So um, yeah, then we just kind of started branching out from there. I'd say from those first three Omegas. Yeah, dude, man, that, that's just, and then the <clears throat> finesse, you know, so we went both ways. 
the yeah, finesse and the say, dirty dragon were kind of the same same time the finesse came out at around ovid right or was it like 2019 2018 well it's funny so the prototype finesse i still have the original very first one that i built and we ordered a bunch of these rods and so it was the same kind of deal where it was um it was a seven six at the time mm-hmm. um and we were looking for a really good frog rod blank yeah um and it just it just had so much tip uh we realized it wouldn't work for a frog rod and i think it was i think it was jared swafford we were talking to he's like have you guys ever thought about doing you know something like a finesse swim bait rod where it's you know for smaller stuff excuse me and um yeah it it just kind of took off from there so I'm still fishing that original finesse that was supposed to be a frog rod. I added, you know, I added back like four or five inches to the handle or whatever and extended the handle. So now it's like a true finesse that we offer today. Um, yeah, that was kind of a funny thing. So we had all these blanks and we released the first finesses and they did really well. So then we kind of, you know, uh, Eric built the one that it is today with the, uh, the, the white and black carbon split grip. And then, yeah, yeah that's, that's where it lives. <clears throat> Alrighty, we're back. Um, I had to go work on the elevator unit at the at my apartment complex, so we got that taken care of. So we're back here. We're gonna kind of focus a little bit more on uh, on Levi's fishing side of things, how he got into like the first swim baits he had and kind of the success he had found with them down in Texas and stuff. So getting right into it, Levi. What uh, I guess you had talked about seeing guys and, and you doing it too, like uh, carrying around one swim bait rod for in the kayak to catch like that kicker towards the end of the day. What was the first baits you had found and then you had started to fish? Um, yeah. So I, I mean, bull shad was there for sure. Like the six, seven inch, um, multi-joint swimmer, just the standard bull shad that did really good for me. Cause we, we used to do like kayak floats on the river down there. Mm-hmm. Um, just for fun and and we do overnights and stuff and that was always a blast but yeah those always did really good on the river kind of pitching them into the logs and um and then um the magdraft eight inch which i mentioned too uh rigged weedless skip those into the dirty stuff and uh it you know when you transition i see a lot of guys like hey i'm not i'm not getting bit what am i doing wrong and it for me, like it actually really kind of turned on when you start putting stuff where you almost know or think you're going to get s- snagged, you know? So, um, I rigged the mag drafts weedless and did well with those. I picked up a bullshad four by four. Um, that was always a fun bait. It still is, uh, that bait just gets hammered. Um, and then I think the first glide bait, uh, was the Gancraft 168, the jointed claw. Um, mm-hmm. caught some good fish on that. And then I picked up a donut shad and I love that. I still have that same exact bait. Um, that's one of my favorite glides. Um, yeah. So kind of swimmers and then started branching out in soft bait, started fishing some of the burrito stuff. Um, and yeah. It, it's kind of crazy that you don't see many people like, when I got into swim bait fishing, the donut shads were kind of like something that a lot of people wanted, the donut shads and the uh, short cakes and stuff. And now like, I hardly ever see them for sale anymore, and I hardly ever see people post fish with them. So, yeah, like I know that a lot of guys are doing good on that fritter, the deep diver. 
Yeah. I still haven't fished one of those. I finally just recently picked up a short cake and I've caught quite a few fish on that little guy. Um, but yeah, I've had great success with that. Just the regular old school. Mine's still the OG with the brush tail. Um, I just picked up a new model um, and I had Peyton paint it in uh, gill for me. So I, I still haven't thrown that. I'm interested to see how it swims compared to my OG one. Yeah, the one I had was the uh, the the soft plastic tail, and it was a super tight. Obviously, you know, with those small glide baits, that's what you get. But I caught quite a few fish on mine. I don't know whatever happened to it. I must have sold it or or lost it because I don't know where that thing is. But I remember catching a lot of fish on it. They were like it was probably around 2019, kind of when they were a little bit easier to get. I paid like a hundred bucks for it, and I just remember that being such a fun little bait. Like not necessarily getting into it, but doing it for a couple of years and fishing bigger stuff. Like that was a fun little bait to pick up at the time and just hammer a bunch of smaller fish with. Yeah, it really is. And it's a super versatile bait. Like you can, you can slow roll it. You can chop it. You can burn it. You know, there, I, I really, I've always been a fan of, of his stuff. He's, they're great baits, man. I'd like to pick up one of those, uh, deep diver fritters too. Yeah, yeah, as I say, uh, I know quite a few guys who have had really good success on those fritters. And and speaking of success, did you ever, you know, catch a big kicker during one of your tournaments fishing a swim bait for for one anchor fish? Not really so much when I was fishing kayak tournaments. Um, you know, out there, I'd fish a lot of grass, so I'd be flipping or um, uh, frogging mostly is what I would do. Um, it's hard to cover a ton of water and find, you know, those roamers and stuff when you're in a kayak, obviously it's not like fishing in a bass boat. So you kind of, you know, pick your cove or pick your cover and just, you know, just pick it apart as best you can. Kind of, I'd say that's the biggest difference between bass boat tournaments and kayak tournaments is just the amount of water you can cover. Um, but I did, I mean, I swim bait badlands was back in the day back then. And I, I got second place in one of those monthly tournaments on that weedless mag draft um, at night. It was like seven, six or something like that. Um, so that was cool. I still have that hoodie and, and some of those rod sleeves from old strawberry back then. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. Was, uh, what, what was the first bait you had gotten? Was it the bull shad? And did you catch a lot of fish on those first few baits you had just like enough to keep you interested in, and obviously you know, join Badlands and, and universe and stuff and kind of see what swim bait fishing was all about at the time. Yeah. And so back then, you know, I did good on the bull shad and then I think I picked up an S waiver 200. Um, and then that's what kind of, I was like, okay, you know, there's so many ponds out there. Like I caught a seven and a half out of a pond that was like five minutes from my house on an S waiver. <laughs> And, um, and then I got a 250 and then that's when it, you know, the drawing power really became apparent to me. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of what led me to join some of the groups and start, you know, diving a little deeper. Yeah. Were you able to buy those baits at a tackle shop down there? Or did you have to order everything online? No. So I, I primarily would buy pre-owned stuff, you know, like the, the donut shad I still have. I met. Uh, uh, he's my buddy now, but I met him at like a gas station. I think I paid him 70 <laughs> bucks for it at the time, you know, um, or we'd go fishing. We'd do like, you know, like dig through each other's baits and trade and stuff. There's just so many guys that fish out there compared to where I'm at now. Yeah. And even back then, like was the bass fishing presence on, on town, like dude, 
the town lake uh ladybird like all of those are so damn confusing so we'll just we'll just brought, <laughs> call it the lakes like was there a lot of bass fishing pressure back then on the lakes in austin yeah yeah so definitely i mean you'd always you couldn't go to a lake without seeing and it depends on the size of the lake but even the ponds like you'd be at a pond on the near a golf course or whatever out there and there's another guy throwing swim baits across the pond from you and you don't know him you know it's yeah, it's definitely heavy out there. Yeah, and I mean, this was around the time, if not even a couple of years after, like when Oliver was out there fishing the mother and, and he was just, you know, there was another guy out there, like part of Big Bass Dreams, and they were fishing on Ladybird and catching all these fish. And obviously that was after Grant had caught his fish and stuff. So the word was definitely out about him at the time. Yeah, yeah, I used to go to the launch at Ladybird and I'd see Grant out there waiting and talk to him and his dad had come pick him up, pull up to the launch and like start yelling at Grant out in the water to come get in his car. He's got to go do his homework or whatever. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's so awesome. <laughs> so cool to hear. It's and, funny. So when did you ever like realize like I'm going to at some point in time, whether it was when you'd gotten into him or not, that like you know, how everybody's like, I want to do swim baits, you know, sell all the conventional stuff like that. Did that ever happen for you back then or even, even recently at all or no? No. Um, I've always kind of, kind of walked the line between conventional and swim baits. You know, I throw swim baits cause now I just basically fun fish. Right. But when you're throwing, when you're really trying to pattern fish the way that I fish, at least, I guess I still threw conventional, you know, I like, like I always tend to agree with uh, Gail from burrito baits on this. Like, you know, you can figure out what structure looks like by chucking a heavy Carolina rig out there. And, you know, there's a big rock pile there, you know, there it's just, I've always done, I never sold all my conventional and went hundred percent swim bait. Cause I enjoy catching even if they're small, you know, as much as I enjoy, I'd say I get a little more hyped when I catch a good swim bait fish, but I just like catching fish. Yeah, and it's always kind of like the, you know, it, it's cool to catch fish on a swim bait because it is such a unnormal thing, and it's like so, you're matching how realistic the forge is, and it's just I don't know, dude. It's something. There's a feeling to catch a fish on like a, a five pounder or four pounder on a glide bait, whereas the only other way that I like I get super hyped when I catch a fish like that on conventional is if I'm like I'm flipping for them or something like that, like. The rest, it's cool, but there's just something about catching them on a big bait or even just a swim bait in general. It's like, man, that was just such a cool experience. I, it must just be the experience that's so cool about it. Yeah, that, and I think they eat different. You know what I mean? Like, if they're just checking something out or you're getting nipped at your tail or, you know, you're throwing an underspin or whatever. I mean, I feel like when they're eating a swim bait, they're trying to kill that thing. You know what I mean? So they'll, like, hammer it. And those, those initial bites on swim baits are a blast. Like I remember when I caught my very first 250 fish, it was crystal clear water and I was fishing from the bank. It was like a big, I would say a big Creek, but it was a nice size Creek and it was deep. Um, and I cast it out there. And as soon as the bait hit the water, man, there was like a wolf pack that came from the cover on each side and they just like hammered it. So I almost doubled on that first cast. And uh, caught it was like five and a half or something on a trout two fifty, and there's no trout in those waters. They just it made a commotion, and that's what they wanted, you know. And um, so I caught that fish, and then the next cast, my son was he was probably only six or seven at the time, and um, 
I casted back out and a bunch of those ones that had come out in the wolf pack were falling it in. And I caught like a, a one pounder that hit the hook, like right at the bank as I paused it. But it was just like that, that one experience taught me so much about fishing glides, but also just fishing swim baits in general and bass behavior. Like if they're hungry or they're, you know, interested, they don't hesitate. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I and you don't get that if you you know throw out a jig. Mm-hmm. You know, if I would have just tossed a jig out in that same exact spot, probably wouldn't have got a single one of those fish to come out. You know, right? Yeah, I think being able to see fish react and, and wolf packs behind your baits and watch fish, you know, come up and and slap a glide bait and they go to turn around and they have a face full of hooks and you just you sweep into them and you see them get rolled over. Like I think that's what did it for me, just being able to see it and experience that. And I was like, that is what makes swim bait fishing so cool. In my opinion is being able to literally trick these fish into think that they're legitimately eating a piece of natural forage and just, you know, sweeping into them and catching them. That's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And yeah, it's, it's hard to beat. I mean, you know, fishing a frog is probably the closest other thing that, that you can get that that'll get your heart rate up to to watching a fish eat your glide bait or or you know seeing your line jut off to one side like it, it's just hard to beat in general mm-hmm. yeah i agree yeah it's so fun uh da, 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 da. so you run so, into that you know brown muddy water like all my lakes here there's that pike lake i told you about that's pretty close um it's just chocolate milk all the time like i don't think i've ever tried to throw a glide bait there but yeah Clear water swim bait fishing is definitely top of my list when it comes to presentations. Yeah, Jeff and I, we were talking about dirty water, and I was just talking about my disdain for dirty water and how much I absolutely cannot stand it, and, and props to the guys who do it. And and speaking of that, so Jeff was talking about how clear the water used to be at one point in time in Arizona, and he obviously we talked about the golden algae and stuff, but what was your experience like? Was there... Was the fishing super good in Arizona before you left? And then when you came back, was it kind of after the algae had hit and the fishing had gone downhill? Or, or did you, or did you not even notice it because you're in such kind of a, a trout-heavy populated part of the state? Yeah, so I never really fished. Before, before I moved to Austin, I wasn't really big into bass fishing. There's one body of water here close to me. And actually, I was out there a couple weeks ago with Alec Weaker. And um, it was... It was just mud. And this place is literally called, it's Clear Creek. Um, and it was just, it was so brutal. Uh, we fished for two days and camped. And and we were actually talking about this. Like, it's so much different when it's normally a clear body of water. But then there's this just influx of runoff and, and crazy floods and stuff that we've been having from our crazy monsoon season and all the snow melt. And then those fish just, I think they just shut down. They're not used to feeding like that. Right. So that's one experience for me. But before I moved to Austin, I never really fished down in the Valley, the lakes Mm -hmm. that Jeffrey and those guys all fish at. Um, So it was not as apparent to me. I remember being in Austin because I was in the swim bait realm by that time when the algae bloom hit yeah out here and i remember seeing the videos of all the you know the fish kills and stuff and it was brutal and i wasn't even in the area so yeah and then grady i've heard a bunch of stories from grady and josh um josh and and justin from big fish bullies like those guys they dealt with it hardcore and 
I feel for him because that that was brutal, man. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, talk to you, Jeff, Grady, uh, Trevor Tippetts, and a couple other guys from Arizona, and you know they've all had the same story if they were around that time and, and fishing those areas on how that algae you know, what that did to their fishing and, and kind of what it was like to to see these fish kill offs and stuff like that. And it, dude, that is just straight up so sad to hear like such a pristine like fishery just, you know, absolutely get the get the lights flipped off of it one or like just in a matter of a day and the fishing just goes belly up legitimately. Like that's yeah. so wild to hear. So sad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, dude. And did you ever did you ever go back to Arizona and, and fish with Grady before you had moved back, or did you not know Grady at the time? No, I knew of Grady just, you know, from seeing him through the groups and stuff and seeing him in like Colosio and those guys just hammering fish out here in Arizona. So I always wanted to, but no, I, I did a couple of Lake Powell trips while I lived in Austin and then came out here. My family at the time had a houseboat, so we'd go, you know, out on the houseboat on Lake Powell for weeks and weeks and I I, there's a lot of rat smallies and there's striper at Lake Powell. I don't know if Ben Linnell talked about Lake Powell much. It's an awesome lake and it's super clear generally. Um, so I did do some swim bait fishing out there. Um, a couple of the trips that I came back, um, uh, but never down in the valley that where they had the algae blooms and stuff. Mm, okay. Okay. Not till um, I moved back. Right. And what was, um, I guess what have, I feel like there's something has something happened in Austin since you moved back with the fishery down there? I, f- I can't seem, maybe it's just, maybe it just seems like since there's more and more people there that like the fishing pressure has just increased so much. And like, obviously, you know, in, in that five or six years since you had moved back, swim bait fishing has became, you know, tenfold, you know, uh, quote unquote popular as it used to be. Have you gone down there since then and noticed a difference from when you were down there originally? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Um, I was back there a couple of years ago, like I said, when I went out there just to go fishing with the the guys. And, um, you know, because at that point, I wouldn't have been comparing the fishing to when I lived in Austin prior. I would have been more comparing it to Arizona, which in that sense, like, man, I caught a handful of fives in the first couple of days that I was fishing out there. So it was like, you know hand over fist better than what I'm used to out here. Right. Yeah. And dude, it is just, if you look at Texas, especially now, and you look at all the guys that maybe not even necessarily in Austin, but just in the, the, the Texas region, I mean, there are some complete just stud hammers out there. I mean, you got Grady, Marshall, Jared, Grant, you have all these guys that fish out there and they're all still, you know, maybe it's not, you know, catching a big fish every other week, but they are still catching solid fish, a couple, if not multiple, uh, of them catching really solid fish every, every month or every other month. Like, it's like, damn, like Jeffrey and I were talking about it. He's like, dude, we should just move to Texas and go fish. Like <laughs> they're catching good fish all the time. And I'm like, dude, I just absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, you know, and it, yes, there's pressure, but then, you know, like you got to adapt, like, yeah, l- look at, you know what all these guys are doing they're throwing different stuff the, the ghost came stuff, out yeah. the tyrant yeah flipping punching grass with you know uh, a battle shad um so 
yeah, there's definitely still fish there, whether they're more pressured or not than five years ago. I'm sure they are just because of just the natural evolution of swim bait fishing. But yeah, there's definitely, definitely fun fishing in Texas. Yeah, dude. And, and it's, it, I, I talked about this with Jeff too, and it's like being down there for the gathering and, and Marsh and I, uh, we had, we had gone and fished the Sunday, the next day after, after the show. And it's like, just being in Texas and casting, it's literally the craziest feeling. It's like, oh my gosh, like I could catch, you know, a 12 pounder on this cast. I could break my PB four times in the next hour. Like it is just a very surreal feeling to be down there and be surrounded by, you know, waterways that more than likely have 10 plus pound fish in majority of them. It's just so wild. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, funny story. It's kind of the same. Um, when I moved back here to Arizona, I was selling power sports software. So I would sell software to motorcycle dealerships, which was, you know, my career for a long time. I was in the power sports industry. Mm-hmm. And then um, I lived out here in Arizona and I was working remotely and I had to go back out to Texas to Dallas for like a Can-Am or BRP show or something. Yeah. Uh, one of their dealer meetings. And I, me and my buddy, Zach, up in Fort Worth, we jumped on his boat and went out and uh, we were fishing and I was throwing swim baits. I was throwing my 250. I was throwing a HUD, like a 68 weedless or something because I only had a couple rods with me. And um, yeah, I threw swim baits all day because that's what I had brought. And he uh, he was throwing a jerk bait at the time. And yeah, I netted a 14.57 for him. He caught on a clown jerk bait and it was the only fish we caught all day. And oh. it's still the lake record. Dude, that—that yeah. that was my first word. I was like, "Dude, dude, what do I do?" I have it on video. I was like, "What do I do? What do I do, dude, dude?" Because I thought it was a carp, and then I saw its tail, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's a giant!" And wow. yeah, we had to wait at the boat ramp for Texas Parks and Wildlife to come and certify the catch. And he got to—it's a really cool story. Like they bred the fish, they took a DNA test. It was a 13-year-old fish that they had planted in that lake because they knew the whole lineage. And then, so they spawned the fish and then he got to go re-release that fish into the lake like two months later. And they mm-hmm. gave him a free mount and then presented it to him on stage at the Bassmaster Classic out there. Dang, dude. Super cool. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, that's just so crazy. I mean, you see guys, Lawrence Lee, you know, Grady, Marsh, Jerry, like I said, you just see these guys uh grant what he caught he caught three double digits like the two weeks before the show in texas like and and then another one after yeah yeah we're talking about it with him and i'm like dude like i can't i cannot even fathom to be in your shoes like let me bring you back to michigan and when you catch a five pounder you just throw it back without taking a picture i'm gonna look at you like you're crazy (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah yeah fives are fives are glorious out here for me in arizona too i I think I've caught like three or four this year, you know, whereas in Austin, Texas area, you'll catch three or four in one outing and it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Do you probably, I probably know the answer to this. Do you ever see anybody around your area now fishing swim baits up there or no? Yeah. Yeah. I was out uh, one night. I was out um, at this little local hole here. Um, It's south of me. And I was, uh, I think I was throwing a soft bait. I think I had a soft bait and, oh yeah, I was throwing a, um, a crawler and mm-hmm. uh, a citizen and uh, I could hear across the lake. I could hear the cast and then the splash. 
And uh, so I start walking the little trail around the lake and I start talking to this guy. I was like, oh, what do you think he's throwing a slammer? And we start talking. He's like, he saw the elude sticker on my uh, measuring board because I showed him a picture of a five I had just caught. And uh, he's like, oh, you fish eludes? And I was like, yeah, I got a couple rats. And uh, it was John Colosio. So that was the first time I met John Colosio in person. And then we fished a bunch of times since then. But yeah, that was, it was funny. But yeah, you'd see guys throwing swim baits around here for sure. Oh, that's so funny, dude. I mean, that's like, that's some small world stuff. Like, that's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a couple hours north of Phoenix. So, well, yeah. And it's, it's south of me. So it's kind of, yeah, it's in between us and Phoenix where those guys are. So, but it, yeah, it was funny. Damn, dude. That's so cool. And I guess your fish, I mean, your fish probably, you know, the bigger fish are probably very enticed by the baits because, like, like I can't imagine that there's more than, you know, a, a half a dozen to a dozen of you guys in a certain radius that are presenting these baits to these fish. Yeah, and I I feel like there's some truth there, um, because yeah, everyone's throwing jigs and worms and wackies and you know things like that, but there's not near as many people throwing you know huds and and big stuff out here as maybe say in Texas. But also, you know, the sample size is different, right? Yeah. Like there's right. not as many giants here as there used to be or that there are in Texas. So it kind of makes sense in that, you know, like I said earlier, some people just want to catch fish. They're not just out there chasing giants, you know what I mean? Which yeah. neither am I per se, you know, because I just like to catch fish half the time too. Like I've been getting really into throwing BFS stuff lately and it's a blast. Um, and that's like, you know, almost on the spectrum to fly fishing bfs so yeah i just like catching fish yeah and it's it's we can kind of go down this uh rabbit hole a little bit because i know you're a big fan of them it's very interesting to see you know it's always been about you know the mother chaser the the manifolds the frenzies the ghosts and stuff it had always been swim baits were that super huge you know big bait thing to to fool big fish and now, you know, within the last three years, it's kind of it's kind of hit the other side of the scale where, you know, downsizing to three and a half to like the, those five inch glide baits are kind of the the new thing on the market, I guess, where where that wasn't really a thing, you know, a handful of years ago. And now we've got we've got a couple options on our hands. And and I know you're a big fan of uh, of the Gracely Bates Gill, right? The finesse Gill. And then now even yeah, more so. I don't, have you gotten the shat yet or no? Yeah, I have one of the prototypes. That thing's fun. Yeah, I was about to say. So, so yeah, it's like that, that's a bait. Like, and, and guys, obviously, you know, guys in, in big fish states where, where they're fishing big nine, 10 inch, 12, 12 inch glide baits, where they look at those baits and, you know, XYZ, naysay here, there. But for guys like you and I, like for me with, with smallmouth in my waters and, and you just with that non, you know, super big caliber fish, like those baits, you can just go out with a flipping rod and reel or a frog set up or, you know, whatever it may be and just hammer the, the one to, to two and a half pound fish. And you can catch 50 fish in a day on a swim bait and have, have just an absolute blast doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so much fun. You know what I mean? Like I, sometimes I want to be catching, not just fishing, like, but then there's days where like I'll throw a swim bait all day and just be enamored by how cool it looks in the water and it's swimming. And if I get a couple followers, sweet, you know, then it's a good day. I was on the boat. Um, so yeah, 
and it's cool to see how the community is kind of accepting it. Like for a long time, you couldn't even post anything like that in any of the forums, you know, and mm -hmm. then now, you know, there's guys posting BFS stuff on, you know, Gancraft seventies and whatnot. So it's, it is cool to see how it's kind of broadening the spectrum, but it's, I, I get both sides of it, you know, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's hard because, you know, I'm hard. I'm, I'm going to use that word, but it's interesting because there's no set definition to a swim bait. I mean, as as a moderator on Universe and seeing people answer the the questions to to send in to to get accepted and stuff. I mean, dude, twenty five percent of the time, if not more, guys put rage swimmers or you know, uh, um, oh geez, why is that? Why uh, high tech or just whatever? And it's like, at what point in time do you draw the line to what is quote unquote? a swim bait that you're allowed to post, I guess. Like it's, it's a very niche word that, that has very interchangeable definitions to it for the person. Yeah. I should say. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone's different, you know, like it looks like a fish. It's a swim bait, but I mean, yeah, that's like saying car, you know what I mean? It's a car. Yeah. yeah. But what kind of car? Is it an know? SUV, so, uh, the compact, yeah, or the whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, like I said, I think it's cool seeing, you know, more of the, the more finesse style stuff getting accepted in the, in the community. It's, it's fun. It just, yeah. and yeah, it just ups your odds to, to catch a fish, right? Doesn't necessarily up your odds, you know, elephants eat peanuts. doesn't up your odds to catch a giant, but it could happen. Like look at the 14 and a half I netted on a jerk bait, you know? So right. it, it's, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. And it's like, there's that trade off to where, you know, I'm fishing a river and, and my biggest fish might be three and a half pounds. And, you know, I could catch that on a paperweight or, or on a, on a, on an eight inch shad glide, or I could catch three, three pounders on the Gracely bait finesse gill or the donut chatter, or just, just a handful of other small baits. Again, craft 70 FOM makes a bunch of smaller baits. Like, like there's a, it, uh, the trophy fish in my waters are different than the trophy fish waters of, of Austin or of, of Lake Fork or OH Ivy and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and even now look at it where you got Josh Jones out there catching them on crappie chicks and stuff on OH Ivy. Like to say, that's so wild. Yeah. Yeah. To say, you know, a 15 pounder wouldn't try to eat a four inch glide, but you know, at one point in time, you know, 10 years ago, you could probably say that and people would agree with you. But now, like just seeing what these guys are doing with with small A rigs with like 2.8 inch Kytex and stuff on them. And it, obviously, that's a little bit different. But even like the hair jigs and stuff, it's like, okay, well, these big fish are obviously not only indulging on large meals, they're also eating this smaller stuff too, as, as we've seen in the last two or two years or so. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's just, it's, it's interesting, man. And, I mean, when the Gancraft 70 came out, everybody was bashing that thing, you know, saying it doesn't swim or whatever. But I mean, you like guys like Ben Linnell and, and a, you know, handful of other guys are out there catching trout and stuff, grailing and all sorts of cool stuff on them. And it's like, okay, well, you know, it, as, as a swim bait guy, you know, 90% of the time, 99% of the time you're catching bass. But for those 1% of guys who are catching, you know, big lake trout or big trout in general, you know, just, just whatever it may be like that BFS side of things for the swim bait stuff. It's just, it's super cool to see. And, and I feel like that's going to be the next big push from bigger companies is coming out with those smaller two and a half to like four inch glide baits and in mass producing stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's, that's true for sure. I mean, it's, it's easier to make somebody buy a $15 baby bullshad than it is to buy, you know, the, the, the 11 inch the bullshit like it's just you know yeah, that thing's a monster 
Yeah, yeah, dude, it's it is massive. That thing fishes way bigger than eleven inches. That thing is a damn pie yeah. plate. That thing's like what, like seven <laughs> inches tall or something, dude. That thing's massive. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. It's it swims massive. so good though. Yeah, it's. I want to get one for musky fishing on one of these lakes. I just I've been looking around. There's like a handful of baits that I've been looking to get, and I just like I I'm gonna buy them and I'm gonna fish them. You know, once or twice a month. And I probably won't catch a muskie on it. So it's like, I'll just save my money and buy something else. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, I got to the point where I just had too much stuff. You know, I don't know if you saw that big lot I yeah, sold yeah. a while back. But yeah, I mean, I, I had, you know, because I've been in the community for a while and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm impulsive. Um, but yeah, I just had so much stuff. I just really wanted to kind of focus down and I realized I wasn't throwing half the stuff I thought I would. And yeah, so that, that was a good feeling for me. That was a big relief because now I, you know, I've, I've been doing it long enough. I know what I like. I know what makes me happy and I have fun catching and who I like supporting. So yeah, it was, it was, it was good for me to do that. Yeah, there was uh there was a point in time where I had just so many baits to just strung out in my, in my bedroom, in my truck, in the garage and you know, I got them all and there, I, I had a selling point like you did. Obviously it was not nearly to the magnitude, but I sold, you know, a bunch, a bunch of baits. And now I probably have, you know, 13 or 15 baits, 20 at the most. And they are all baits that I actually fish, whether it's a couple times a year or tied on majority of the time, they're all baits that I can see myself fishing and catching fish with. Like, obviously like how everybody talks about when they first got into it, buying every single swim bait you see just because it's it's what you want to do and i'm so glad I'm, i don't do that anymore because i've just had so much bs that i never ever fished or would never even catch a fish on absolutely yeah and i'd i'd, I'd like buy a bait and be like oh i'll throw this at this lake in four months you know what i mean like when they stock trout or whatever and yeah. then it would just sit there and then i'd never end up making the trip and then i didn't you know what i mean or whatever the case but yeah there's so many different seasonalities too depending on where you're at like you know, trout stocks here or where you're at, like you only have a little bit of a musky season um, compared to where, you know, we have some musky that's a few hours from me that we can go fish that's open year round as long as it's not frozen solid. So it's, yeah, everyone's different. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's but yeah, it's easy cool. to bury yourself for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is kind of a good uh, segue into, you know, some of the, you know, top five baits that you're fishing now, whether it's, whether they just flat out catch fish or it's something that you think you're going to catch fish. What are a couple of baits that you have now that are hard to set down when you pick them up and, and start catching fish on them or start casting them for the day? So again, with the small stuff, I mean, I, I love my tiny tum from Edwin, um, but that super tiny has just been catching a ton of fish for me and uh, lately. Um, so that's, that's definitely one of them. The, the Gracely Guild, the little glide is awesome. Um, and then, uh, I mean, pretty much if I'm going anywhere where I think there's bigger fish or if I don't know the fishery and I want to know if there's bigger fish, I, I have a 250 on. Um, and then uh, soft baits, like, like I said earlier, I really like soft baits. So I'll throw, you know, uh, a, a weedless taquito or a jig hook shad or um, also for the weedless, I really like the, the gizzard wizard. Uh, yeah. that's a great weedless shad profile um yeah so pretty much and then awake um the the wooden 
um, uh, Black Dog Shellcracker with the lip. That's mm-hmm. like one of my favorite Gil Wakes of all time. Um, so yeah, Awake, a Glide, um, six inch HPH. Uh, I've caught tons of fish on the one I have. Um, Two fifty and uh, soft bait. Dude, I think you would absolutely love one of those Woody Wake Walkers. I would love one of those. Dude, oh I, my! I guarantee God. I would. Dude, I caught. I mean, I had no. If you ever listened to a single podcast before, like before this spring, absolutely no confidence in wake baits. Never caught fish on like the shell crack or anything. Dude, this little Woody. Oh my gosh! I went out one day and I probably had a sixty fish day. My first day fishing it. It was an absolute blast. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so awesome, dude. And it's I like saw the- one of the protos when Marshall came out here. He came out and fished some of my lakes with me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and so he had the proto chickadee, like one of the first ones I think was made out of like a two by four. And he was fishing that thing and he caught fish on it. And then I think he had a woody or maybe it was just one of the regular walk- wake walkers. But yeah, I, I like everything Kyle's doing over there. He's, he's an awesome builder. Yeah, dude, super cool stuff. I mean, how fast did those rods go Friday? They went pretty damn quick, didn't they? Man, we I saw like three because I get the email notifications. I saw like three orders come through, and then the website froze, and then I saw a couple more orders trickle in, and then it like unfroze. So I yeah, I felt bad about that. So yeah, Eric, he was uh, he we're gonna be revamping the website to make sure that traffic doesn't do that again. But yeah, they were gone. Even with the website freeze, and I think they were gone in like three or four minutes. Yeah, I had got, I somehow got on and I looked at it and I was like, man, I should buy one. But I'm like, no, I, I can't justify it. Like, if I'm gonna buy a rod, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just wait till the gathering so I can buy it and bring it home myself. And I'm like, man, like, I looked at it and I texted Kyle, I'm like, should I buy one? And then he texted me, he texted me back like two hours later. He's like, they're all gone. I'm like, well, obviously they're all gone. I was hoping you were going to text me back like right away. <laughs> right away. Right. Oh, yeah. Man. They went quick, man. Yep. Yeah. yeah so, so public apology to anyone that got shafted by the website freezing. Um, but yeah. yeah, that was, it went quick. So cool, man. Um, are you going to be at the Virginia show? I know that's like on the total opposite end of the country for you. And I, you don't usually go to the Virginia ones, do you? Um, I hadn't been to a Virginia one yet. No. Uh, I told Eric just to let me know if he's going to need me um, to go out there. Cause I don't mind. I would just obviously fly instead of drive. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I'd like to go, you know, see everyone again and, I had a blast in Texas. I'd like to, I used to have to go to Virginia a lot for work when I was uh, selling software. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm familiar with it, but I never got to fish out there. So I'd like to, you know, spend a day on the lake out there too. Yeah, dude. uh, Virginia is just super cool. But it's so hard because I've been to Virginia. This will be the fourth year I've been to Virginia. Dude, Texas, that was, Texas was a blast, man. That was so much fun down there. Yeah, it was. It, the The turnout was great, and then you know the facility at Lake Fork was awesome. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a good time. I had a blast for sure. Getting to fish Getting with to, everybody and yeah, know, see yeah. the whole crew was cool. Yeah, like like I mean, this is gonna sound biased, but the Leviathan booth was so kick ass. Like everybody was there. They were all wearing. You guys were all wearing the white shirts and stuff, and it was just super cool to to see. Um, you know all all the guys who who most of the time guys are seeing on Instagram cause they follow them and stuff. And you know, 
a lot of, I mean, everybody on there, they all catch big fish and stuff and being able to see them and, and talk to them and talk about what they like about the rods, you know, what, what they fish on these rods and stuff like that. I mean, that was a super cool experience too. Yeah. I loved it. It was, it was awesome. There the camaraderie just with everybody out there, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a great event for sure. Yeah. It was a blast. Did you get to fish on fork at all Sunday? So I went out Saturday night after the event, um, with my buddy, Kurt, and then, um, Swafford and Jeffrey were on his boat and then, uh, and Grant and er- yeah. And then Grady and, uh, Grant were on Grady's boat. So yeah, we had the whole crew. We went out on fork, but as soon as we got out of this cove that we launched in, it was like gale force winds and like huge yeah. swells. So we had to pretty much stay pinned into those coves. And then the next two days I went over, um, the other side of Fort Worth and hung out with Grady and Kurt and fished, uh, a couple of the lakes out there and we did really good. Yeah. It was, oh, it was yeah, a blast. Yeah. I feel like I remember, I feel like I, I remember seeing you guys, like we were over there talking with somebody and we saw you guys dump in and then it just like the wind just picked up out of nowhere. Cause at one point in time, like we were holding down the Leviathan banner from flying away towards the end of the yeah. day. I don't know. Like yeah. If we were, it got you know, windy that afternoon. Yeah. Yep. After yeah, it was like, brutal. So we didn't really ca- I think I was the only one on those three boats that caught a fish. Was it a good one? After the gathering. Squeaker. No, it was not. It was a, it was a squeaker. Oh, damn it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunate. Um Oh wait, no, no, no. Uh uh Jeffrey and um uh Swafford, he caught one. He caught one on a K9 or maybe even a frenzy. It was, that was cool. But they tricked us. They didn't show us the fish until after. And then I saw the video and I was like, oh, you bastards. I oh, thought I yeah. won. It was it was Jeff. I think he caught one on the TK, I think. Yeah, it was it was one of the DRT baits. I know that. Yeah, that sounds that's sounds yeah, it was funny. funny. Um kinda so we've heard about what baits you fish and kinda, you know, your your top go-to's. What uh wrapping it up here, what are the rods? Like obviously we know kind of what, what brand they are, but but what rods, you know, if you have a couple on the deck, what are usually uh your setups for them and, and what you're fishing them with? Yeah, so I pretty much always have a finesse rod with me because I'll <laughs> throw, you know, everything from a chatterbait if I'm on a chatterbait bite or, you know, to to a TK on that same rod. So um it's just so versatile, it's hard for me to leave without that. Um medium heavy is pretty much generally on deck um i like the medium heavy with braid deleter um and i throw a lot of wakes on that smaller wakes like you know um i fish the mega bass uh eye loud on that quite a bit i throw that on the finesse too um or like the the wooden shell cracker i'll throw on the medium heavy um and then uh i generally always have um, my 777, which isn't technically a swim bait rod, but it's a seven foot seven, uh, heavy fast. Uh, so it's a, it's a stout rod and I throw, um, like nachos and even, you know, like, uh, the little buddy I have, uh, Eric, Eric, uh, God, I forgot his last name. He, he pours those, uh, it's mm-hmm. like a five inch weedless paddle tail, um, so that I throw on the 777 a lot. And then uh, summertime, I'm frogging a lot. So I'll pretty much always have my flipping stick uh, with the frog tied on. Um, yeah, and I've, I've been trying to get better. Like, there's times where I look at, you know, what I've gotten ready to go out for the day. And I'm like, I really don't need nine rods. Right, yeah. But then, you know, I'll leave three or four in the truck. But I'm trying to get better about, you know, really, like, kind of 
focusing on what I'm throwing, but it's hard for me because I haven't been able to fish near as much as I used to. Right. And the bite can change so drastically here. Like I said, when I was out like a week before I took Alec weaker to this one spot that I fish, um, I caught a five. And then we went back a week later and it had dumped rain and it was complete chocolate milk. And there was, there was no bite. It was non-existent. So, so that can all change. So that's part of the reason I overpack a lot of times. Cause I got to adjust on the fly or once I finally get there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what reels are you, are you fishing with? I mostly fish Shimano. Um, I do have, uh, a couple of Abus that I really like. Um, the beast, um, and I throw, I have, I really like my older Corrado, the, the 201Es. I have a couple of those. Mm, yep. I have a 301E, um, pretty much Shimano. Uh, and then just like on my finesse, I throw the 151DC. Um, and then on the medium or the heavy, uh, I'll throw those 201Es. Uh, I have a Conquest 301 that I love on the heavy or even the extra heavy. Um, I have a Tranks 401 too, but I don't really throw that as much. It's just a big reel. And then that Revo Beast uh, is pretty big too. But um, that's more like if I'm throwing 250 or, you know, right. something bigger like the Bubba or something like that. Yeah. I will say when I get a finesse, it is, I, so Marsh and I were talking and I think Kyle uh, from Throwback had gotten uh, the Calcutta 100. It's like for like inshore fishing style. And we were talking about that. It weighs like, like five ounces. So like combined, you'd have like a 12 ounce setup with the finesse rod. Yeah. And That'd I'm, be like, a beautiful oh thing. Sure. I'm like, dude, could you imagine that? And so Marsh and I were looking around and they were, they were quite, quite expensive, but Marshall, I don't, can't remember what reel he just got, but he put it on that custom jig rod. And he's like, dude, it's like, it weighs nothing. He's like, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then he's got the, he's got that Calcutta 200, on his bushwhacker and i mean that looks that looks like a damn good setup like with the colors and everything i'm like dude i think i think whenever uh it, it, that comes around to being dropped i think those are going to be rods that go really fast to marshall's rod yeah that thing is sweet I, I checked it out when we were out there it's uh yeah it's an awesome build man yeah um, yeah, on all my frog rods speaking of just lightweight like i fish this uh revo mgx the mm -hmm. fast one it's the the hs yeah. um on my frog rod and yeah it's so light it's it's crazy it's yeah it's crazy yeah that's a, that's a fun setup yeah like that uh that finesse like you've got to just have a featherweight reel just to match it and i mean being able to fish two ounces like the tiny clash on a swim bait rod that that weighs, you know, sub 13 ounces, you know, the bait weighs more than the rod. Like that's absolutely insane. That is so cool. Yeah. That's like the dirty dragon. I think that build completed weighs like almost eight ounces, something like that. And it can throw 14. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> and it's like, you, you don't, yeah. Easily? Like you pick, like, Dude, I have a I have a six ten four Powell uh, endurance for a jerkbait rod, and I go from fishing my medium heavy and then pick that thing up, and that thing used to be the lightest rod I had for uh, forever, and then it weighs you know it weighs like two ounces less than the medium heavy with a Corrado. And it's like noticeable in your hand, yeah. Yeah, and it's like wow, like that, like I, I would hand somebody like a production rod, like a, a legitimate production rod that you buy on Tackle Warehouse, like a Savage Gear browser. 
And then I give them the medium heavy, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is like a glorified jerkbait rod. I'm like, I know, and it's freaking yeah. crazy, isn't it? Like, it is so ridiculous, dude. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah, the man. weight but, of our rods, I, I dig. Yeah, yeah. Um, wrapping it up here. So if anybody has any, uh, any, you know, custom rod ideas, they want a custom rod built, how, how do they go about that? Do they shoot you a message or shoot the Leviathan Instagram page a message or what's the best way to go about that? Yeah. So, um, whatever's easiest, you know, a lot of guys don't do Instagram or they do when they don't do Facebook, you know, or whatever. Um, we do have, you know, just info at leviathanrods.com. Um, you can do that. Um, that's, uh, our email address, um, Levi at leviathanrods.com. That's fine too. If you guys don't do social media, um, but yeah, Instagram or Facebook message, we'll see those. Um, and then also there is like a custom request form on the website that you can oh. fill out mm-hmm. and that'll go in. Um, but yeah, it, it, we got multiple ways, um, email, private message. You can message me directly. I am pretty backed up on custom builds right now, and it's not necessarily because I'm building so much. It's because, you know, just life. Life, um, yeah. Got two regular jobs and then remodeling a bathroom because my shower literally fell. The tile fell off the wall because it was so rotting oh behind it. But that's a whole nother, you know what I mean? So, but life, yeah. So custom builds for us, they do take quite a while. I think I'm quoting like four to six or four to eight months right now on a wait on a custom build. Mm-hmm. and um but yeah i mean we still will definitely look at any ideas or if if you know if you got to have something built quicker we do have some avenues uh to go that route to try and get you a custom built quicker um but kind of i'd rather i'm getting kind of to the point where i almost don't want to do like a custom build by request i almost just want to kind of start building random customs and then posting them up for sale what kind of like eric did with those like purple and yellow omegas he did the other day yep yeah so but yeah absolutely if you if you're if you have questions about a custom build or if you're looking for a custom build i'll still absolutely discuss it for you and if if you gotta have it quick then we can figure something out heck yeah dude and then uh what what are your socials so what what's the instagram at least so if people don't follow you already and they they want to follow the life of levi jones where can they follow you and do that yeah, so um, Instagram is swimbait928. Um, that's my fishing one, swimbait928. That's our area code. And then um, I just have my regular personal Facebook aside from, you know, the Leviathan one. Um, and then I haven't really gotten into I – th- I think I started a TikTok, but I don't think I quite figured out how to use it all the way. There's my boomer moment there. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I like to watch the, the videos and the reels and stuff. But yeah, swimbait nine two eight's my fishing Instagram. Hell yeah, dude. And then uh yeah, hopefully I, I hope that uh that maybe Eric does need you or maybe he just invites you on out to, to the Virginia show. It'd be good to see you again because I mean the first time I got to meet you and obviously see you that was at the Texas show and that was super cool. I'm like, Oh, okay, like I know who Levi is now. I've talked to him but I never never got to meet the guy until then. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that's, you know, that's part of what I like so much about those meetups is it's just cool to put a face to, you know, the, the name you see in the Mm -hmm. the groups and universe and stuff and, and finally get to meet people and hear their actual voice instead of, you know, read their messages or whatever. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, Yeah. And then, so just like, I know you're kind of closing out and that's fine. I just, 
I did want to mention um, we are doing a Leviathan trip to oh, Lake Bacharach yeah. with uh, the Big Fish Bullies guys, um, Justin and Josh, and uh, kind of doing a Leviathan group. So we'll have a couple of of our friends, but it's not limited to just Leviathan people, obviously. Um, so if anyone's interested in that, yeah, shoot me a, a PM on on uh, Facebook or Instagram, whatever. Um, it's going to be a super fun trip. It's going to be December 9th to the 16th. Um, I think Big Fish Bullies might have some uh, some new surprise equipment on the, the little Ponga guide boats down there. So that'll be awesome. I went last year and, you know, I don't even think there was a fish finder on there at the time. Um, if there was, the guide guys didn't use them. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's, that should be a blast. So, yeah, let me know if anyone's interested in that. Hell yeah. If you guys are interested, you can go uh, go probassadventures.com and, and kind of poke around on the site there. And, and uh, like Levi said, you can shoot him a message or obviously uh, Pro Bass Adventures has an Instagram and a Facebook page. So you guys go follow them there and I'm sure they have all their emails and stuff hooked up or you can give them a, give them a call at uh, 480-491-9300 is, uh, is the Lodge's phone number, I think is, is what that number is. That's that. Yep. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I was about to say, I remember Josh telling me that and he gave it to me and I'm like, I don't remember if that is like, he, he just is like, okay, this is the phone number for the Lodge. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to assume that it's the Lodge's phone number. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, if not, I think it gets forwarded, so that'll be fine. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, if you guys, uh, if you guys want to go experience Mexico fishing on on Lake Bacharach, and that it, that would be a time to go do it. Go go fish in December. Go fish, hang out with the Leviathan guys. I mean, Bo's gonna be down there. Uh, Levi, I'm I'm sure there's probably I'm sure, Grady's, Grady's gonna be going. there. Yeah, I figure Grady Grady's going, work. and he's bringing all his filming equipment too. So he's gonna be doing like promo videos for the lodge, and then also like you know if you're a bait maker, we got a couple of bait makers that I think are interested in going. They might be in the same group. We can all kind of you know have a round table and and yeah, just try and grow this thing. And and I like I said, I went to Backrack last year, and it was just an epic experience like the food was awesome the the times we had were awesome the lake was beautiful so yeah it's definitely worth it and you're really going to talk me into it i think i'm gonna have gonna yeah, to go, yeah come on i'm gonna have to go uh go check out the uh the passport at the U- usps tomorrow and, and see, see that. that's like just 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 to be able to go to experience it you know going once probably would be detrimental because i'd want to go a second time but it's like i just want to go down there and experience it i've heard it heard about it for the last five or six years swim bait fishing and it's just like man talk to a handful of guys who've gone down there now and just the firsthand experiences they've told me it's like yeah i, I gotta do it you know within the next two or three years so i don't go insane beforehand absolutely yep totally worth it heck yeah man but as always i'll put uh levi's stuff in the uh, in the description in the show notes you guys go follow him if not go follow leviathan rods as always if you guys are going to go uh, go check out leviathan rods you're going to buy something might as well use scales 20 at checkout save yourself 20% at checkout, save yourself some monies, maybe put that towards your Mexico trip. But uh, other than that, I want to thank Levi for coming on. It was it was a good time. It was kind of cool to to hear his side of the Leviathan story and how he got into it as well as what the changes have been like from him going from Arizona to Texas back to Arizona and, and kind of, you know, maybe not necessarily the shell shock, but, but you know, kind of leaving big fish country to go back and, and just kind of more so have to fun fish and, and be super ecstatic about a five pounder when you landed. It's super, <laughs> yeah. super, uh, shell shock's I, a good word for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. There was some shell shock. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Just, thanks uh, so much for having cool. me, man. It was, it was really cool. Thanks for doing this. 
Yeah, man, for sure. It was it was a good time. And uh, I've talked about it, I think, in the last podcast. If you guys are going to be at the Virginia Gathering or, you know, even coming up, probably when this airs, I'll already have them. But the magazines, the the third issue of the zines will be dropping at the 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 Swimbait Universe Gathering 5 in Virginia on September 30th. I will be opening up a pre-order a week or two beforehand, and then I'll get those submitted. So by the time I get back from Virginia, I have them at my door, and they can all get shipped out then. And then I'll also be uh, be doing another little extra goodie, uh, a, a little side project with the zine. So $5 will we'll get you this other thing that, that uh, I'll ship out to you, and it's super cool. So it would come out to like $37 for the zine, this, uh, this little collectible thing we're working on, and, and then shipping. So keep your guys' eyes out on that. Third issue super cool. We got all sorts of guys. We got Toxic. Uh, we got a Toxic Day write-up review. We had Edwin from Legal Dope write some stuff. Marsh wrote some stuff. Uh, Grady wrote about the the flag baits, the 255 in general, or more specifically, and then just, uh, just some other cool stuff. So like I said, I want to thank Levi for coming on. I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and I'll talk to you guys next time. See you guys. Thank you.